Making sure that we weren't creating more work for our uh, teachers. We're kidding ourselves if we think that what we're doing here is not going to increase the workload on teachers. A bill requiring teachers to post everything they use in a classroom online before a semester advances. Now it has something that may let them update that information as they teach. This amendment allows more flexibility for teachers with a seven-day window for teachers to update plans. From Iowa Public Radio News, this is the weekly legislative podcast under the Golden Dome. Budgets are now starting to pass out of the House. One of them would increase the Iowa State Patrol by $2 million. Basically to cover salary adjustments. But with this and other budgets, Democrats say the $1 billion surplus should be used to provide more funds to state departments. We don't have a surplus of money. We have a failure to appropriate. And the longest debate so far this year is for a bill about unemployment benefits. We're going to update the number of weeks to reflect the labor market employers and workers are facing. It reduces the maximum number of weeks for unemployment. Republicans say it's part of a solution for a workforce shortage. This isn't about solving a workforce crisis. But Democrats strongly disagree. This bill definitely needs to go where the sun don't shine. It's that kind of week at the Capitol. I'm John Pimble. This is Under the Golden Dome for the week ending March 25th, 2022. These days, there's an app for everything. Now there's an app for everything you love about Iowa Public Radio. Local newscasts and stories from the voices you trust, your favorite public radio shows and podcasts, plus the music to soundtrack your day. You can have it all in the IPR app. Find it in app stores or at IPR.org app. This is our second subcommittee for this bill. Republican Representative Phil Thompson chairs a House Appropriations Subcommittee. We ran this through the Educa Education Committee uh, during Funnel Week, and uh, we've done a lot of work on this since then. This is a bill that would require teachers to make all of their curriculum available online. Through the session, this concept has been part of other bills, including those that would allocate state money for scholarships to private schools. This bill does not include scholarships. This bill makes it mandatory for curriculums to be posted online before each semester, online information about what library books are in the school, and a requirement for high school students to pass a civics exam in order to graduate. Um, I guess I'll just start the conversation by asking Molly if you want to make some comments. Uh, this bill came from the governor's office. The governor's legislative liaison is Molly Severin. There was a lot of work put into making some um, changes to the language as it was originally. Again, getting back to the um, same goal that, of course, the governor had with the language and making sure that we weren't creating um, more work for our uh, teachers. We're kidding ourselves if we think that what we're doing here is not going to increase the workload and increase the, the time factors on teachers. David Wilkerson is from the School Administrators of Iowa. I firmly believe in transparency. I think parents need to know what's going on in the classroom. Uh, the teachers I uh, interacted with over the years would tell you the same thing. They weren't trying to do anything nefarious. They're just trying to teach. If a teacher uses something in the classroom that is not listed in the online curriculum, state funding for that school district will be withheld for every day they are not in compliance. 
Talking about software and training dollars, that's going to be an issue as well for a lot of school districts. Dave Daughton from Rural School Advocates of Iowa says not all school districts have the capacity to place this information online. It will require the investment in some kind of learning content management system. The cost of one day of teacher training is $11.8 million statewide. Margaret Buckton is from the Urban Education Network. And we're going to have to train all teachers no matter what this is. If it's uploading instructional materials into um, some kind of a platform for teachers to access, they're going to have to understand copyright law and, you know, how do they get the right kind of information that meets the definition of what's required to be in there, and then how do they pivot if they find a better source and, and, and add that later to the documentation. This bill also requires schools to list what books are in the library and establish protocols for the review and potential removal of material from the library if a parent objects. School boards now already adopt policies that allow for a parent to ask for reconsideration or removal of a book from a library. Emily Piper is from the Iowa Association of School Boards. It's unfortunate that there may have been an incident or two where someone felt that the, that the school district was not as transparent as they should have been. So we're very comfortable as we move forward in this amendment that we're getting to a place that is much more workable. Republican Representative Garrett Gobble is a middle school social studies teacher. Gobble served on the Education Committee and speaks to this appropriations subcommittee about a proposed amendment. It will allow changes from the already published information online to be updated if the teacher changes what they actually use. I might show a video to my class in the morning, realize the video doesn't really engage them how I'd hoped it would, and show them a, a, di a different video on the same topic in the afternoon. Um, if I was going to account for all those, I don't think I could, but the binder would be quite thick. Um, so I thought the best way that we could make this flexible, dynamic, is by allowing um, parents to engage on the learning modules, such as Canvas, Google Classroom, to name a couple, with a feature that's already there, which is a, a parent view feature, um, where they can see in real time what teachers are posting in their classroom. The bill advances from the subcommittee and the next day during the full House Appropriations Committee, Republican Representative Phil Thompson presents an amendment. This amendment allows more flexibility for teachers to implement dynamic teaching plans and continues to provide transparency for parents with a seven-day window for teachers to update plans to reflect what was taught in the classroom. Uh, this amendment also lays out and explicitly says that teachers can satisfy the requirements in this bill by allowing view access only to parents. Uh, of their software mediums, whether that's Canvas or Google Classroom. Schools will be required to implement this kind of technology by July 2023. The amendment also allows schools that do not have a digital catalog for their library to be granted a waiver until July 2025. The amendment also removes the graduation requirement to pass a civics exam, but does require the test to be taken with the results reported. I believe the intent is just to gain an understanding of where our students are at. Democratic Representative Tracy Elhart asks Representative Thompson about other concerns like how teachers in special education departments would be able to comply with the posting of curriculum. And how they would get this information uploaded when they aren't even fully aware who's going to be um, their students for that year or where they're at on their IEPs. Has there been any consideration um, for amendments for those teachers? Uh, I believe we do intend to address that in some fashion. We're still trying to work on how we craft language for that, whether it's an exemption or um, some more specific language. Okay. Uh, it is something that even, even our members have expressed reservations about, and we do plan to address that for the floor.
Great. Thank you. I, I will probably be a yes on the floor, but for today, I'll be a no on the bill. This bill advances from the House Appropriations Committee. A different bill that advanced from this Appropriations Committee last week makes it to the House floor. 2559 is the Justice Systems Appropriations Bill. Uh, represents an increase of almost $12.7 million over last year's budget. Republican Representative Gary Worthen floor manages the Justice Systems Budget Bill. Its proposal is $633 million, $11 million more than what the governor recommends. The biggest amount goes to the Department of Corrections. At a proposed $415 million, their increase is $7.3 million. Two years ago, the Department of Corrections received a half-million dollar increase. Last year, it was $20 million. The justice systems also includes the Department of Public Safety, which is where the Iowa State Patrol is funded. The governor's recommendation is $400,000 less than last year, where this House proposal is for $2 million more, for a total of $71.4 million in fiscal year 2023. Basically, to cover salary adjustments, uh, we graduated a class of 38 new highway patrolmen, DCI agents in December. We currently have a class of 18 in the academy. These are prior service officers, people that, who are already certified peace officers and are moving from a police department or a sheriff's department to the highway patrol. So they, they are going through an abbreviated academy, a 14-week academy. Representative Worthen says the Iowa State Patrol is still understaffed, and part of the reason is due to a high number of officers reaching retirement age. Uh, we'll build numbers. It's a long, slow process. It's also a challenge to, to find people qualified. It has been the policy of this administration and this body to short departments. Democratic Representative Brian Meyer says in recent years, departments across the state are often getting small increases. We have a, we have a situation in this state, and that situation is a tale of two states. On the one hand, we have a governor and a legislature that's running around saying, we have so much money, we need to do tax cuts. We have so much money. Uh, and we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to do these tax cuts and we'll worry about the consequences down the road. I'm worried about the consequences of that tax cut down the road. I'm concerned in five to six years we're going to come back here and say, oh, hell, we don't have any money. Sorry, we can't fully fund you. We don't have any money. Last month, income tax cuts passed and signed into law that would lower income tax rates over the next few years. The Legislative Services Agency estimates in 2028 the state will collect $1.8 billion less in taxes. Democrats like Representative Meyer are critical of these cuts and say spending proposals should increase. We don't have a surplus of money. We have a failure to appropriate and to do that adequately. Concerning the Iowa State Patrol, Representative Meyer presents an amendment that would tag $2.8 million for recruitment and retention of state patrol officers. But Representative Worthen urges the body to vote against this amendment. I know where you're coming from, Representative Meyer. Can't say I disagree a whole lot. But at the same time, we have to control growth. Uh, what got us into... Part of what got us into the position with the Ohio Patrol is that there was huge growth in the late 
80s and early 90s. Now we're having 25 to 30 uh, patrolmen hitting retirement eligibility at, at year by year. Uh, I took that into consideration as we worked this, this budget through to try and get an average growth rate that uh, we aren't creating a problem uh, 20 years down the road again. The justice system's budget passes 58 to 36, mostly on party lines. This is one of many budgets advancing on the House side. Soon, the Senate will follow with their own proposals. This is Under the Golden Dome, a weekly legislative podcast. I'm John Pimble. These days, there's an app for everything. Now there's an app for everything you love about Iowa Public Radio. Local newscasts and stories from the voices you trust, your favorite public radio shows and podcasts, plus the music to soundtrack your day. You can have it all in the IPR app. Find it in app stores or at IPR.org app. In January, Governor Kim Reynolds announced her priorities to the legislature during her condition of the state speech. There are so many reasons for the worker shortage, but we need to recognize in some cases it's because the government hasn't taken away, has taken away the need or desire to work. Iowa, like most of the country, is experiencing a labor shortage, and the governor cites unemployment benefits as part of the reason. The safety net has become a hammock. Now don't mistake me. This isn't the only cause, but it's a growing problem, and it's not just an economic one. This priority from the governor has come to the House of Representatives in a bill about unemployment benefits with Republican Representative Michael Buzlow. We're going to update the number of weeks to reflect the labor market employers and workers are facing. Right now, the maximum number of weeks for unemployment benefits is 26 in Iowa. This bill proposes to reduce it to 16 weeks. I see this legislation and the focus and modernization of unemployment to an active program that is about reemployment and upskilling as something that will get Iowans back to work. In my opinion, that is the most polite and soft way that you can tell the public they're about to get screwed. Democratic Representative Chris Hall says reducing the number of weeks for unemployment isn't significantly helping in states that have the same labor challenge. And nobody's buying at the governor's rationale that garbage policy like this will have a positive economic impact. It's not going to address the workforce shortage. And how do we know that? And why is no one buying that rationale? Because last summer, when the governor declined federal dollars to go toward unemployment benefits, the resounding data showed no positive impact. 25 states cut federal benefits early, including Iowa. Following those cuts, a Wall Street Journal analysis found that, the states that, that those states added jobs at a slower rate than did the states that continued to pay benefits. The country, in fact, overall, including states that continued to pay workers federal unemployment benefits, added jobs twice as fast as Iowa did from last June to September. So the economist who performed this study for the Wall Street Journal was quoted and said, if the question is, is unemployment the key thing that's holding back the labor market recovery, the answer is no, definitely not, based on the data. The maximum unemployment benefit one can receive is no more than $591 per week. 
Democratic Representative Molly Donahue says someone who is unemployed is not likely to want to remain on this lower pay compared to what a job can provide. I don't know anybody who has been laid off or put out of work at no fault of their own who wouldn't rather be back at a job getting full-time wages supporting their families and themselves. This bill would remove unemployment benefits if someone is offered a job at a lower wage than their previous work. Democratic Representative Sue Cahill uses a hypothetical parent that is looking for work while receiving unemployment. Workers are forced to take a job at at least 60% of their former salary or wage after only two months of looking for a different job, looking for work. Does her rent go down by 60%? Does her car payment go down by 60%? Does her child care costs go down by 60%? No, but now she needs to apply for other public programs, such as the Nutritional SNAP program, the Insurance Hawkeye program to meet her children's needs, and child care assistance and other programs, even though our wage worker is working full time but at 60% of her previous and former wage. This proposal would deny unemployment due to misconduct as defined by 14 provisions in this bill. They include falsifying an application, violating employer's rules, damage of employer's property, and tardiness or absenteeism. Also included as misconduct is if an employee is incarcerated and receives a misdemeanor or felony conviction. Democratic Representative Mary Wolf asks Representative Buzolo about this aspect of the bill and uses a hypothetical situation about public intoxication, which is punishable as a simple misdemeanor in Iowa. Goes to jail. He's charged with public intox. He sees the judge the next morning. The judge is like, how do you want to plead? I'll let you out if you plead guilty. He says, I plead guilty. He gets out. He doesn't miss any work, right? This was like on a Friday night. On Monday, he goes to work, and maybe, the, maybe his boss doesn't like him. He's like, hey, I heard you were incarcerated for a simple misdemeanor on Friday. I'm firing you, and you are not eligible for unemployment benefits. That is exactly what could happen under that subsection, correct? If you go to jail for breaking the law, your employer can fire you for misconduct. All right, so even if they don't miss any work, If you go to jail for breaking the law, your employer can fire you for misconduct. Okay. Even if the misconduct is walking home intoxicated and has absolutely nothing to do with your employment. So long as it's a result of a misdemeanor or felony conviction. So any crime. Misdemeanor or felony conviction. The bill passes out of the House after a four-hour debate. A provision that stated unemployment benefits do not start until after a week was stricken from the House bill. That same day, the House bill goes before the Senate, where that one-week waiting period is put back in the bill. Uh, I believe 39, if not 40 states, have this one-week waiting period. This is the one difference from the House version. Republican Senator Jason Schultz says this one-week waiting period needs to stay. It is also the opportunity when you make sure that everybody is eligible that is applying, that benefits have been paid in on that person, and most most uh, importantly probably would be that the, the level of fraud may be kept down. Republican Senator Adrian Dickey says even if someone who is on unemployment eventually takes a job they don't like and it pays less than their last one, they can find another job later. Nowhere in this bill does it say your next job must be your next career 
or your last job until you, repire, until you retire. It just needs to be your next job. You continue to look for something better. You can look for something that's more appealing, something that has more benefits, something that gives you greater pay. It happens all the time. Democratic Senator Nate Bolton says the reduction of time for benefits can particularly hurt the construction industry, where jobs tend to be seasonal. And the first time, as a construction worker, they complete a project and they need unemployment benefits to be the bridge between jobs, they find out that they're going to have to skip out on paying a few bills for a while. They're going to look for greener pastures. All you're doing today, if you pass this bill as it is right now, is making it harder for workers to choose to stay or come to Iowa to work and support their families. Do not deliver this crushing blow. This bill passes in the Senate mostly on party lines. Since it does not conform to the House version, for this bill to advance, it has to go back to the House where they may approve or amend it. In that case, it would have to come back to the Senate. Bills that don't conform are sometimes called bouncing bills. That tends to happen with budget bills as well. Another House budget has advanced from a committee. It's for the Regent Universities. It has $12 million for new scholarships. Half would be for students pursuing teaching and the other for jobs considered in demand, according to the Iowa Workforce Development. But the proposal does not include any other increase. The universities have asked for a combined $22 million increase. If this proposal passes and is signed by the governor, it would be the third year in a row for no increases to the state universities. I'm John Pimple. This is the weekly legislative podcast, Under the Golden Dome. The script editor for this episode is Iowa Public Radio News Director Michael Leland. Story help comes from Iowa Public Radio's Statehouse reporter Katerina Sestarik, also from Iowa Public Radio reporter Grant Gerlock. Digital team support for this podcast comes from Caitlin Troutman and Matt Searin. If you haven't subscribed to the show, do that now, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Under the Golden Dome is a production of Iowa Public Radio.